Hello, Matt. Hello, Mike. Would you like to do a podcast? Indeed. Let's do it. All right. Uh, welcome to Hacking the Grepson. We're a podcast. We're Matt and Mike, and we talk about programming and development things. And today, we're going to talk about something called the Builder's Trap, uh, which is a small device that you put a little piece of cheese on, and then you set it, and builders come, and they get caught in the trap, and then you do whatever you do with them. No, that's not what that is. Um, Take that, Bob the Builder. <laughs> yes, it's how how do you trap Bob the Builder? Well, use the Builder's Trap. Uh, That's no, what really builders... happened to the doozers on Fraggle Rock. Oh, whoa. Okay, so no, the Builder's Trap is a thing that Matt is going to talk about, and then we will discuss some more details of it and either support or refute it in various measures. Take it away, Matt. Great. Thank you, Mike. Uh, yeah, this comes from a blog post on uh, Pat Kua's uh, blog, I believe it's patkua.com. Uh, I'm sure mm-hmm. the link will be in the uh, in the description somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, called the Builder's Trap, and basically it's talking about the situation where uh, that I am particularly guilty of this, and I recognize it. Um, Ooh, where sorry, as a developer, when you are um, presented with the opportunity to build something or use something that already exists, we have a tendency to lean towards the, uh, I'm, a, I'm just going to build it myself. Uh, what's, what's the not, not made here or whatever that. Yes, exactly. That fallacy is. Yeah. Yes. I, so th- there's a couple of sections to this, but I, I think we can kind of talk about it in general and then dive into some of the, the subsections of the blog. I don't want to go through the entire blog. Uh, individually, but sure. what, what's your experience with this kind of phenomenon? Um, well, what I get from this is that when you are, I mean, working at a company or if you're just, uh, you know, I don't know, tooling around on the internet and you see some cool, uh, project, uh, that someone built or something and you're like, Oh, well, that's cool. I mean, I could, use their tool that they built and ostensibly tested and has documentation and has support and all that stuff. Or I could build my own because it's more fun because as the, there's a quote not far down into this blog post that says, if you're a developer, you might think, uh, isn't that the point of software development, i.e. building things? And Pat Kua says, no, non-builders know this software is only one way to reach a particular goal. And so you know what what i'm getting out of this is that it's it's kind of the fallacy of coding for coding's sake programming for programming's sake it's like i'm a programmer i should program i'm a coder i should write code but as matt and i have said time and time again because i 100% agree with well on 99% agree with matt that uh you know programming no, no one is, should agree with me 100% of the time right right i, I, I made sure 100% of the time <laughs> i made sure to pull that back just to save myself uh, in the future is that you know programming is a means to an end it's a tool what you you know no one like it's not like we created a program the first programming language because we wanted to 
put zeros and ones into a punch card. It's we had a problem and we knew that we could put a machine together that would take those zeros and ones and do something useful that would solve that problem. And so that continues to today, which is there are problems, we need solutions. Maybe the solution is to build something, or maybe it's to use uh, something that already exists. Like I want a blog. Well, I could make my own blogging software, or I could use WordPress, which already exists and is well-supported. And so, but... Like you, Matt, Hold I on. fall into this trap I want to jump in right there because oh, okay. I thought Did that I s- particular example that they used and that you just brought up about blogging was mm-hmm. really funny because I absolutely did that the first time i saw a blog online i was like oh that's kind of cool i like that and it didn't even cross my mind that there was some software out there that i could just grab i just built my own and did it myself and it looked a lot like those but i'm like i i fell into the builder's trap hard there um but that was my first blog was one i i wrote the software around it myself yeah. Well, and, and, you know, you probably learned a lot and you got to play and write software, which is the builder's trap. Because now, Indeed. well, actually, that, that I don't know if that instance would be considered a builder's trap because, you know, you weren't working for a company. You didn't have a deadline. You didn't have a budget. You were just like, oh, I saw a cool thing. I got some time. I got interest. And then you built it. So is that really... Is that what a builder's trap looks like, or is that a proto-builder's trap? I, I don't know. I think it depends on what your goal is. Okay. And they address this a bit in the blog, um, which which I appreciate, the that sense of nuance, which is if your goal is to learn how to write blogging software, then yeah, writing it yourself is the right answer. If your goal is to write a blog post, it's probably not. <laughs> For yeah. me, it was both. I was trying to learn more web development. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, I'm funny. I will write these <laughs> really funny uh, articles. I, I'll, I'll write my own funny blogs. I didn't use that word because I didn't know it uh, at that time. you know. And uh, they definitely were not funny. <laughs> uh, but I wrote them. I think maybe some people might call that the builder's trap. But, I, I, you know, the builder's trap has a real negative connotation to it. And it seems like it's like... When you have to make a decision of whether to build something or not, and you decide to build it, it's not necessarily a trap, but it is an option in a certain circumstance that a lot of developers will choose. And if, if, if it doesn't work towards the goal of the overall project in the way that the company or the organization needs, then it has become a trap. But... They're talking about what what does it look like, and I just wanted to mention real quick is that they have a a webcomic here, and the title of the webcomic is Yagni, or Y-A-G-N-I, which I believe stands for You Ain't Gonna Need It, and there's two people uh, talking, and there's a picture of a very large, uh, like, airplane engine. With a, with a comically small saddle on it, sitting on like a, a piece of wood with some wheels on it. And he says, we built the fastest engine for our app. Oh, what's the saddle for? Uh, that's the app. We kind of blew our budget on the engine. <laughs> so this immediately makes me think of um, anybody who's ever, like when Doom came out and everybody was like, whoa, like three three-dimensional first-person shooter. This is like a whole genre now. 
and lots of people wanted to make a Doom like. And initially, the, probably the smarter people that actually got products to market just used like license the Doom engine or whatever, and then kind of made their own art for it and maybe made modifications to it. And then other people were like, mm, no, I'm going to fall in the builder's trap. And I'm like, I'm going to make my own 3D engine, which, you know, if you don't end up building it and you spend all your budget on the engine and you don't actually make anything that makes your thing stand out or the end, you know, you don't build a game, you build an engine then you may have felt fallen into the builder's trap. Yeah, I, I would say you definitely have. And I would say that is the other most common area in my personal life that I have fallen victim to the builder's trap is, hey, I want to write this game. Hey, all this game software uh, frameworks suck and I don't like the way that they work. Why can't I write my objects the way I want to and then have the game engine just be a really lightweight thing that just goes and grabs the information um, instead of have to build it in this stupid event loop thing like directly mm-hmm. because there's no way to access thing. Right. Uh, and so I go off and build my own. Um, and I've done that with text adventure games, which I know you have also done. Um, mm-hmm. I've done it with, uh, with, with like RPG type, like top down. I've done it with platform. Like I've done it with all sort of sh- shut the box. I, I, I did that one as you know, I wrote that one from scratch. Not that they needed an engine, and I think that's why it's trap, right? It's a builder's trap, not because building is the problem, but because it's so seductive and it's mm. just going to pull you in and now you're trapped. The siren's call of of writing the, the code yourself. Right. And, and I think that uh, leads us to this uh, three-item bullet point list that I think we should go over because what causes this builder's trap? And... Um, Let's just go over each one of them. Uh, the first one is over-optimism. Uh, they say the software estimation is difficult enough. The builder's trap emerges when developers overestimate their ability to write code. How hard can it be is the phrase to watch out for. And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of developers, uh, because we're used to building these little systems, these little worlds, uh, you know, can get a bit of an ego. And we're like, oh, I know, you know, I, I know how to do this. I know how to build stuff. Uh, and so you think, oh, we need a thing. Well, let me build the thing because I know how to build things, you know. Uh, and so I think that's where that over-optimism comes from. Because, yeah, sure, you can build things, but how long will it take? Uh, are you going That'll to support it That'll only take me forever? 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Are you going to support it forever? Are you going to write all the documentation? Are you going to test the whole thing? Right. Uh, so... Yeah, and I think I think that's the thing, right? Is there's sure the core concept of the thing you're building is pretty straightforward. But now you need to make it work at scale or you need to, you know, oh, you, there's there's some nice to haves in there that I would like to have, but oh, this actually turned out to be really complicated. Uh like I want I want to include some autocomplete in my blog. Uh, now I got to tap into the AI engine over there and I, I don't want to use that API. I'm going to write that myself too. And it mm-hmm. just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. It's so easy to spend so much time on, on these things when you think it'll be simple because conceptually it is, it's right. the edge cases and the, the nuance that makes coding difficult. It's why it's why it's a profession and not just something that can, that we just throw at anybody. Some people have a better ability to write those kind of codes and think about all those cases. And they take time to deal with. 
especially if you want them to be robust. Yeah, I was going to say, the second one of these, which uh, definitely uh, is, is a thing I have, is desire to learn while solving problems. And I mm-hmm. absolutely, I love to learn. It's the thing I like. One of the things I really like about this profession is I get to learn new stuff all the time, but I also really like solving problems. And if I can do them both at the same time, how fun is that? I got to learn this new thing and I solved a problem. I made this blog. I made this blog software that no one except for me ever used, and I learned how to do it. How cool is that? Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, I, I agree. Yeah. One the one of the reasons why I love being a developer is uh, learning new things and trying and experimenting. You know, it's a you know I'm not a chemist or a biologist, so I don't uh, do real world experimentation, but I do with code, and it's it's fun to do that. Uh, but where this falls into what makes it a trap is that that often makes it take longer, uh, and it means that you may not be writing the best of that ever because you are learning while doing it, uh, as opposed to using something that exists that already has gone through all those edge cases that you mentioned and has scaled. I, I think bringing up the scaling thing is good because I think a lot of people uh, say that, you know, yeah, you can build, yes, you, a developer, can build something. But it often ends up being more of a toy program that works for you and maybe a couple other people. But what if we add 10,000 users to it that all need to have permissions and da-da-da-da-da, does it work then? And you're like, oh, well, I didn't really think about that. But it works on my computer, you know, so. And then I, I think the other aspect of that is, you know, uh, to, to, to touch on something you touched on, is your, if your goal is to solve that problem, right, and you're going to and you learn along the way to do that. That's great. You got, you accomplished two goals if you had both those goals. But if your goal is solve this problem for someone, Hey, I need software that does X, Y, Z. And you're like, cool, I'm going to do that. And I could get it done in a week if I went and took this other framework and then installed it. Or I could take a month and learn these things and it won't work as well, (laughs) but I've learned a lot. That's where it becomes. Yeah. That that's, I, there's the rub. (laughs) This definitely comes up in my job uh, when there's something on a website that we need to fix. And it's like, oh, well, is there a pre-existing module or plugin that already fixes it? I mean, we would rather do that because that has, it's been written. It probably has support. It has multiple eyes looking at it. It has regular fixes and updates and da-da-da-da-da, or, yeah, I could just write my own custom thing, and it might be fun because I'd learn how it works, but how long would it take? Would it be as good? You have to weigh the pros and cons of those two approaches. So, Uh, And then the last one is sense of adding value, which I think is very similar to number two in that, you know, you want, uh, as a developer, you know, it's your job to, like, generally write code to solve problems. And if you're not writing code and you're just using somebody else's work, you feel like you're not adding the same kind of value because you didn't put yourself into it. You didn't, you know, like, well, I didn't write that function. I just grabbed it from somebody else. And, you know, why am I here? You know, because they did that. But, uh, but you're writing just the glue code kind of thing. Right. But, but the thing is like things have gotten so complicated in, especially in, uh, the web development world, because, you know, you've got the front end, the back end, the networking, the database, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, and these are now well-trodden areas where lots of people have worked on lots of things to solve lots of problems. And like you said, if your goal is to solve a problem, 
you as a developer, it's actually your job it, to decide, hey, if there's a, 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 you know, an existing solution that is well tested and used, you should probably use that and not build your own uh, because that is the better solution. And it's your job to make that call, even if it feels like you're not adding the same value. But you really are, you know, because you're solving the problem. Exactly. It, it, it's, you know, what's the value? If the value is solving the problem, that's what you should focus on. Um, yeah. I I agree with the three things that are here. I would add a couple um, and I'll okay. just kind of enumerate them. I think fear is a big one, um, certainly for me. Hey, I got to mm. go grab this other library or use this API. Don't know if it's going to do what I want necessarily. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pick up. You know, I don't know it yet. So there's the learning there. You know, there's a learning curve to anything that you're doing. Uh, mm -hmm. If I'm building it, there's a learning curve. And how do I build it? But if I'm going to use your library, sometimes there's a learning curve to that, too. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes you get to, you know, you've spent a couple of days or whatever learning the API. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, this is not going to do what I want. So that's one. Uh, I think the biggest one, though, is it's, I, it's fun to write code. Like, I, <laughs> I just, I genuinely yeah. enjoy writing code, and I don't enjoy using other people's code. Because all I do in that situation is I criticize the other person's code. And that's a me thing. I know plenty of people that are great at that. They can pick up another thing and just have it up and running in no time, and, and they've got it, and everyone's happy. I'm not that person. Never have been. Probably never will be. I can do it, but I'm slow at that. I If I'm excited about something, I'm, I do it faster, and I'm more excited about solving the problem myself, writing that code myself, because it's fun. So I will be faster, potentially, in that case. Uh, yeah, I, I found, though, as, a, as a, uh, an argument against that, is that, especially in web development, you know, um, well, actually, it's not just web development, it's just lots of development, is that, you know, there's a community out there that's working with your language of choice or your languages of choice, and like I said, they've built a lot of cool stuff. And it's it's not feasible most of the time for you to build everything because most of that stuff exists. Like your value is unfortunately maybe just writing the glue code, even if that yep. doesn't feel as fun because it's solving the problem. I mean, like, yeah, I could look in my node modules directory and go to every dependency and every dependency of that dependency, et cetera, et cetera. And just be like, okay, what's that doing? All right, well, I got to write that now. Okay, now I've written all of it, and I can delete node modules. But how long did it take me to do that? Did I finish that? No. Way the long answer long. is no. Yeah. <laughs> so well, uh, let me ask you. You know, you you have a text adventure game, the mm -hmm. uh, Gem Warrior that you're that you're working on. Um, why didn't you just use Frots or one of those other, you know, the Infocom uh, system for that? What was your th what was your thought process there? You know, I think, uh, well, because my problem was not this text adventure I made, like the particular title and theme and characters and whatnot doesn't exist. And that's my problem. So how will I most efficiently solve that problem? No, no. The problem was I've never made a text adventure before. And exactly. so I built the whole thing. Yeah. And that, that's exactly my mindset in those situations. I I find it fun to write the game engine for a text yeah. adventure game. I've done it multiple times in multiple languages and never written a full adventure because <laughs> I get bored after that because that's not the interesting part to me. I want to write the engine. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It's just fun 
to write and like and 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 like I said, it goes back to the not quite the over optimism, but the the ego part of it is like I want to be able to say that I made the engine, like I wrote all the stuff. I don't have a node modules directory in Gem Warrior. Like it's a folder with subfolders of JavaScript files that I wrote. I mean, maybe the concepts or some of the um, uh, like the name generator code uh, when you start and it shows you your name and you can just randomly generate a name. I mean, I didn't write the Markov chain function, uh, but I did translate it to JavaScript from something else. Yeah. Uh, and if you, you didn't know. know what a Markov chain was before then, now you do, right? Right. Like, and, that, and there's something to that because now you have a skill set that you may not have had before. Right. But I had no deadline. I had no budget. I had no overseers. I had nobody saying, hey, when's it going to be done, Mike? And it needs to have these features. Why doesn't that, you know, it was just, it was, and you know, those are the most fun projects. But, you know, I think a, a blog post like this is written in the context of like, uh, um, you know, you're beholden to other people. And so this is a decision making, like what makes more sense. And so that's when you would probably not want to build the whole thing yourself. The next section of this blog post is the consequences of the builder's trap. And I think we've touched on a lot of these already. Um, money is probably a, a big one, right? Like how much is it actually costing for you to write the right? Like if, if, mm-hmm. if you work for a company and you could have gotten this done in a day by using someone else's software, but you spent a week, you now have spent five times the amount of money uh, of the company's money for your salary to do this thing. Right. Um, what other kinds of consequences do you see as, as coming out of this? I feel like it all comes down to what is, uh, what, what is the incentive uh, structure here? Like, is your incentive to learn a new thing? Is your incentive to get it done as, as fast as possible? Is your incentive to have the best code written because there is something to be said for writing it yourself because you can dot every I and cross every T. Uh, whereas if you just pull in a package from somewhere else, you know, unless, unless you are a hundred percent auditing that you're more or less trusting it on good faith that it is not doing anything malicious. And I mean, I know no one would ever try to do that, but uh, it's possible. So I, I think that's really the con- the, the consequence of you building it yourself uh, is it, it all depends on who you're doing it for and what the incentive structure is for doing it. Um, I mean, if, I if I can I, write it myself, I will, but most of the time it, it's not the right choice. Yeah. And, and you, you brought up a, a good point there, which is like uh, malicious code, but I think there's the other side of that, which is inadvertently insecure code, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, places where there is, and that happens all the time, especially in security software where, you know, oh, there's a slight exploit here. You know, this this weird edge case. You see it in games all the time. Like uh, every day on TikTok, I see another uh, item duplication glitch for <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom, and I'm yeah. like, well, I, I don't know why you would want to do that, but great. Uh, I guess go, go ahead and cheat at your video game if it makes it fun. That's that's totally okay. Right. But right. in real life, you if you introduce a security hole in a library that you use, especially if you're releasing that into the public domain. And then someone uses that, it can put them 
in a situation where they are now on the hook financially for, you know, because they got hacked, right? And, oh, it's right. actually because of your exploit. You have a duty, quite frankly, at that point to patch that library. Uh, one of the good things about open source software is, A, people can look at your code and look for those kind of things and catch them. And, B, they can go fix them themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's definitely a place to, to watch out for. Yeah. Um, consequence-wise. I think the next section also touches into consequences, so we, I think we can probably talk about that, which is what's missing from the builder's trap. And I think really what they're talking about is what's missing from that decision? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, it, generally. What is generally missing from the decision of build it myself or use someone else's? And they boil it down to opportunity cost and maintenance cost. So opportunity cost is while you're spending time writing that code, you're not spending that time doing something else. Um, we, we touched on that a little bit already. And maintenance cost is, and, and you've brought this up a couple of times, you wrote this code and now, and, and just like I was saying with the security issue, uh, there's a problem in this code. You have to fix it. There's no community out there that's fixing it. It's all on you. Um, I built it myself always comes with that as a downside. And I think that's something that people don't take into account enough. Mm-hmm. Um I think if you already have high maintenance costs with the thing that you're using and you're like, I'm going to replace it with something I write myself, you can probably make that that uh, trade off. But if it's I'm doing a fresh thing, never touched it. And now uh, I'm go I could build my own or I could just go grab that library out of NPM. You're you definitely need to factor both uh, the maintenance cost in there. We actually had this issue where we had a web app that was that was very custom and uh, we moved to like an existing framework instead, and I think that was a good move uh, for all of the benefits that come with using an existing framework with the community and the support and people adding features. You know, it's just it's kind of a, a scale thing. It's like, yeah, if we wrote everything, the only way anything's going to be fixed or improved is if we do it, which is time we're spending that we could be working on another project. Uh, but if we use something that is used by millions of people that's being looked at and updated and improved, uh, you know, that's happening while we're doing other stuff. And uh, I think there's a huge boon to that. I think within that framework, writing our own custom stuff for our specific use cases is where it goes back around the other way. Like, you know, it often comes down to we just have a specific reason to do something that an existing solution doesn't exist or it's not, you know, specific enough or granular or niche because of our requirements. And so that's when we do it ourselves. And that's not something that I would say, well, no, let's just use something that exists and tweak that because we we don't want to fall into the builder's trap. No, no, this is something that we should write and maintain because it is for our specific use. And so, you know, once again, moderation the, the, the bigger picture, it was better to go library, but the smaller picture is still, you're going to have edge cases that you need to work on. So, yeah. And that is a, a really good point. And it brings us into the third section, but I want to, I want to keep talking on what you just said, which is the short term versus the long term thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, reusing other code is almost always a quicker short term. Uh, it's going to have quicker short term turnaround, right? Like I need to get this thing out the door. Uh, spending a bunch of time writing it, not great. So short-term turnaround, short-term turnaround is is important in situations, um, and especially 
you know, if you work for a company, you know, and, and the whole late stage capitalism thing that we're on or that, that we live in, yes, it's important because we got to make the company money so they can stay afloat because you got to grow, blah, blah, blah. If you're working on something yourself, less of an important thing. But people don't take enough uh, time to think about the long term. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when you are building something yourself, it's a lot of times when I want to build something myself, it's because I intend to continue to grow it. Yeah, there's something that exists today in this very narrow scope for this very narrow problem I'm trying to solve. But I know that I'm also going to be adding this feature and this feature and this feature and this feature. And that thing that I'm reusing doesn't do it. So now I have to throw that. So I know I'm going to have to throw that away in the future and pick up another thing. It might make sense to build your own then. I, I think this has also changed quite a bit over the course of software development um, where, I don't know, 40, 50 years ago, uh, everything was custom because there was no standard frameworks and whatnot uh, for all the kinds of things that we do. You know, So people were essentially making uh, you know, the WordPresses of the world at that point. But until there was the WordPress, you, know, you had to write your own blogging software. But now that WordPress exists, it makes far less sense to build your own WordPress when WordPress exists because WordPress is vetted. Uh, so the the decision-making process is very different now than it was 50 years ago when all of these standardized things didn't exist. That's that. I just wanted to add that part. Exactly. No, I think that's right. And that, and that, that leads us nicely into th- three things you can do to avoid the builder's trap, which is the last main section of this blog. Um, I'm going to read the three... Uh, things there, and mm-hmm. then uh, I want to talk about second ones first because it ties into what you just said. So the three things they have there are put developers as close to customers as possible. The second is categorize the problem into novel or not novel, and the third is use small time boxes. And I've got a couple of other things to add to this, but let's okay. start with the novel or not novel. Mm-hmm. Um, very much that ties into what you said. If you're if you're writing something that's very bespoke for a specific uh, type of problem, it's it's very novel, right? You're not going to find something that does it out of the box, right? It's mm-hmm. very it's very customized, or it may not even exist, right? I would I would uh, in addition to novel or not novel on this, I would also say is this in your business domain or not, right? Mm. If you're looking at a company, I used to work for a company that did video security. Do I need to be the one writing the video player? I mean, I was, but it was that the most critical piece. No, the critical piece was the security. You don't want to outsource the security part of it, but you could realistically outsource the part that's rendering video to a screen because that's been done. Where it gets novel is, oh, I need to actually like tie those so closely together that I really can't use the third-party thing. And that's where, okay, this is a novel problem that I cannot reuse a component off the shelf. That, that, that actually makes me think, so are you saying that it might almost always be better to start with the existing solution until you realize that you have a novel problem and then switch to custom. Like don't think of building first, think of off the shelf first and then switch to novel or to building it. If you find the novel thing. Yes and no. Uh, Yes. I think that's the right, that's usually the right solution. Uh, If you don't know, what the future holds, right? If you're going for a really agile style of, of development and you're not planning out at all, like if you're going very short term, uh, you don't know what you want or you're, you're trying to just iterate rapidly, it probably makes sense to just get something that's going to get the solution out the door the fastest. Mm-hmm. And then when the customer's like, hey, 
uh, that's great and all, but I need it to be green. And you're using the doesn't have any green in it library and you have to do a full refactor. That's a problem. Uh, right. But if you knew up front, hey, I'm never going to need green or I will definitely need green. That helps you make that decision uh, later on or, or early on. If you don't know that, then you should go for the cheap, quick method. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do know it, then you should say, uh, is this something that I'm going to need to build onto or not? Uh, but uh, again, and uh, and then a lot of it comes down to, is this something that I, is it something that I need to have really fine grained control over might make sense to build? Is it not, is it not a novel thing? You know, there's a million different, uh, widgets that, that can gen, that can show me a button in, uh, HTML and CSS, right? Uh, right. JavaScript, right? Like that whole, that whole ecosystem. Um, do I need to write my own? Probably not. Someone else has done it. Is my entire business all around how cool it, the effects are when I press a button? Then it probably doesn't make sense to build it on someone else's. Right. That that that's very point. Yeah. Uh, in the web world, like Bootstrap <clears throat> is a super popular style system that basically yeah. you know like makes all of your typography and what your buttons look like and what your headers look like, and that is an excellent way to start pretty much any website. You know, and and there's other kinds that are like Bootstrap, but Bootstrap's kind of like the the OG, um, you know, th- there's nothing wrong with starting with Bootstrap and then realizing that oh, we we really want this to be incredibly custom and boot and Bootstrap is forcing us to be too Bootstrap e, and so we look like every Bootstrap website that has ever existed, which is definitely a problem. Uh, when, when you get when everybody's using off the shelf, you get a lot of uh, hum, uh, homogeneity or homo- you know uh, everything looks the same. Homogeneity is right, yeah. Yeah, uh, and 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 that can be a design, uh, you know, doldrum where you 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 don't stand out because everybody's using the same bootstrap, and so that's when building something yourself might make sense because because your value is that your website looks cool, uh, but if your website is literally just a way to get someone to, you know, fill out a form or call a phone number, then just use bootstrap and move on with your life. So, yeah. incidentally, something that I do because I can do it quickly and it doesn't get in the way. That's sort of like a halfway point, not even a halfway point. It's way more on the uh, don't build it side. Um, but when I'm going into a situation, I don't know what if I'm going to need to to write a section myself. And I know that there is something that does what I ha- what I need today um, out there. I will often use that thing, but I will put a, uh, my own interface in front of it so I can use my interface mm. everywhere else in my code. So that I can very easily rip out the back end and replace it. And I've got my nice, clean API that I wrote that I like that works a certain way. And, you know, maybe it works exactly like that. And I can use it to to maybe, you know, make make certain things a little easier to use in in the libraries. Because often, you know, there's a bunch of extra parameters that only the professionals are ever going to use. And I don't want to pass them in every single time or it's always going to be the same for my application. Um, and so, you know, you can hide it behind the sort of a facade, but I do it in a lot of, for a lot of the main reason that I do it is so that if I do need to build something myself, I have not painted myself into a corner Mm. Mm -hmm. and I can, I can just rip out the back end of what I, of my, of my interface and everyone's happy. That, that's my, that's my solution to do it, to get it done fast, but don't, but don't screw myself over in the long run. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so what about the other one? Put developers as close to customers as possible and use small time boxes. What do you? What are your thoughts on those? 
I like the time box one, but let's come back to that one. Okay. I'm not sure how I feel about put developers as close to customers as possible. I agree with that in principle. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily a good solution to the builder's trap thing. Uh, and, the, and the main reason I think that is if you're talking to the customer, if you're getting your requirements directly from the customers, they're going to give you very narrow, specific things that they want for their specific use case. And you're more likely to end up with a very bespoke custom uh non non-generic thing for that customer so there, there's a there's a balance to be struck there i do think uh being aware of the customer's needs from a time standpoint is mm-hmm. very important to the builder's trap because if someone just says hey matt go do this and they don't give me a timeline i'm gonna do it the way i want to do it uh, <laughs> even if it's going to take the longer time Right. Uh, if you don't give me a time limit, which is why I set my own deadlines on things all the time. Right. Um, what do you think about the put developers as close to customers as possible piece? Uh, yeah, I think this is a road you have to carefully tread um, because for that very reason. Yeah. If you get too, if the developers get too close to the customers, you get very bespoke things and you really need to strike a balance between uh, something that is iterable for future development from a developer standpoint. Uh, so more generic, more modular, uh, but also has the power to adapt to customers' needs. And, uh, you know, that that's something actually that we're working on right now as we're doing a, a redo of a particular website where the current one doesn't have as much power for the users to do more custom specific things. Uh, so if they want a specific change, you know, we have to build it, but it's more, it's better for everybody. If we know, so developers getting close to customers, if we know the use cases they have so that we can build the web app in a way so that they have the ability to make those changes. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I don't think that developer or that, uh, customers should be sitting next to developers, uh, as they develop, uh, that's too close. Uh, I think they should be having meetings with them occasionally uh, so that they can all be on the same page. Because if, you know, if you do the waterfall method where they just get all the requisites ahead of time and then everybody disappears into their corner for six months, you know, that that will never work, especially in a web development kind of situation. Um, But, you know, you don't need to have a meeting every day. But, yeah, you need to find that thing in the middle where they are aware of what the limitations are. But also that you, the developers are not completely separated from what the customers want because then you'll just keep having to iterate over and over again until they're happy. So you need to at least have some idea. Um, the last one was use small time boxes. Uh, big and th- big time boxes are bad. Good. Yeah. Uh, you know, like a goldfish will grow to fill the space that it can, that it, that it can occupy. You know, if you give it a really big tank, it'll get bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will use all the time. A developer will absolutely use all of the time available to them to build. So if you say, I need this thing in a week, or another place to put a time box would be, okay, go ahead and look into developing it, but you can only spend like the next three days looking into like what it's going to take and really like submit it, like time box it. Say, this is how much time you have to do to do this thing. Yeah, It keeps your your options smaller and fewer options I think is probably the biggest uh, thing that would drive me 
away from falling into the builder's trap is say, I need to have this done by the end of the week. I am much, much less likely to try to write unnecessary pieces <laughs> of it uh, 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 myself. I'm going to find every shortcut I can take because that's not a lot of time to do software development properly. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree that deadlines in general are a good thing because, you know, <laughs> the time we, you know, not to get too uh, existential, but the time we have on this earth is generally limited. Uh, you do not have infinite time to bike shed or yak shave your your pet project. Um, you know, maybe in the next life uh, you will have that, but in this life uh, we need to put some boundaries and boundaries are good. Uh, um, you know, even art needs to have restrictions because I think it's good. And it, and it, uh, because for that very reason is that, yeah, it, it's a fun thing to build stuff and you can spend literally infinite time tweaking and changing and try, you know, because then something new will come out in the middle of your project. And like, Ooh, I want to try that. Oh, now we got to redo the whole thing. So yeah, time, time boxes are good. Uh, they get things done because it is important to actually finish things. Uh, if not just for your customer or your boss, uh, you know, I, I, I have lots of projects that are kind of in mid completion. Same with, uh, music and art. I have lots of songs that are in mid completion and they, they are, I don't want to say an albatross, but you know, they're always on my mind. I'm like, Oh, you know, I need to get back to that thing. Cause I do want, I do really like the finishing of it. I like it to be done and I have completed that because I mean, I do feel that art is uh, art is rarely finished, uh, just abandoned, as I'm sure I've said before. Um, abandoning your uh, your web app or your software development project uh, is not uh, the way to think about it. But finishing it any time is good. So uh, that's a lot of words to say. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think that's that pretty much wraps up what we want to talk about for this. I think this was a. A pretty good. I think they make a lot of good points in this blog. Uh, the builder's trap is definitely something to watch out for. Should you never build anything? No, that would be stupid. Should you always build everything? No, that would also be stupid. Find the balance. Think about it. What makes sense to build your uh, yourself? What doesn't? In light of all of the other inputs into that system, right? When is it due? What skills do you have? What don't you have? Uh, how how customized does it need to be? I, I think uh, the biggest thing that would drive me away or towards uh, building something myself that boils down to design, right? If I'm designing it ahead of time and I'm like, or not, not even design, if I'm looking long-term and I say, I definitely am going to need this piece to do X, Y, and Z, and every library out there only does X and Y, um, I will at least build part of that. And if you can find that middle ground, I think that's that's what you want to aim for. Yeah. I, I just wanted to wrap it up by actually reading the conclusion from the blog post because I think it actually sums this up uh, almost as nicely as you just did. In conclusion, they say, developers don't fall into the builder's trap with ill intentions. Developers want to solve problems. They want to add value and learn while solving these problems. Yet, watch out for signs of the builder's trap. Think deliberately about the context you're in and use these tips to help you and your team avoid the builder's trap. Uh, just to put those in my own words, yes. The builder's trap is not malicious. The builder's trap is... Um, it's, a, it, it's a consequence of 
wanting to do what developers want to do, which is build things. W one of those things that they might build is gluing someone else's code in. That generally is not as fun and not as rewarding, but it is just as important. And it is your job, if if it is your job, to decide which is the better choice. And and even if it's not in work, even if it's just your own personal project, there are sometimes we're just like, you know, I don't want to build a 3D engine, but I do want to make a Doom-like or whatever the current 3D action game is now. So I'm going to use the existing engine and put my own spin on it and that, and then I'll have a game and I won't just have six months of a half-written 3D engine that doesn't work as well as the Doom engine and no game. Uh, so, yeah, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Thank you, thank you, Dennis Miller. <laughs> Uh, I would do an impression of him, but I can't. It's a news, and I am out of here. Yeah, that was Dennis Miller's. I don't remember who did that. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Wasn't that like that Col Colin Quinn oh, or something? Oh, it could have been Colin Quinn. I think it was Colin yeah. Quinn, yeah. So that's the Builder's <laughs> Trap. Uh, thank you, Pat Kua. Uh, hopefully I'm saying that right, uh, for this blog post, because uh, we've actually had it in the queue for a while, and uh, it's very, it's a very uh, interesting phenomena that definitely happens. It's definitely true. Definitely uh, worth the discussion. Um, but that's all we have for this episode of Hacking the Grepson. You can find more episodes at hackingthegrepson.com. Uh, thank you for listening. And until next time, we now return you to your regularly scheduled lives already in progress. Bye. Bye.